Are you seeking light, reflective reading for the summer? Consider my most recent publication, A Letter to My Sisters Reflecting on God's Promises. This 62-page workbook-style publication guides you through brief narratives, biblical insights, and reflective questions, all encouraging you to contemplate on your experiences from a spiritual perspective. To learn more and to order your copy, visit drveronicahardy.com and submit your order through the Order My Copy tab. Thank you. Today, I welcome Tina Barr to the There's Power in Your Story podcast. Tina Barr is an amazing scholar focusing on wrongful conviction and incarceration. She is also a faculty member in the Department of Social Work at the University of North Carolina at Pembroke. And today she joins us to give us responses to some major questions to help both myself and our listeners to understand more about wrongful conviction and incarceration. Tina, thank you so much for joining us today. And could you please just share a little bit more about yourself with our listeners? Um, first of all, thank you for having me and for that wonderful introduction. Um, and just real quick background information. Um, I am an instructor at the University of North Carolina at Pembroke in the Department of Social Work. And I'm also a PhD candidate at the University of Minnesota, which I'll be defending my dissertation um, this summer. And so the dissertation is about the experiences of men and women who are wrongfully convicted returning home um, once they're able to prove their innocence and gain their freedom. Thank you for that. So the first question that I have is, how did the people who you interviewed cope during their time in prison, knowing that several people did not believe their innocence? This is a great question. And so to give the listeners just a little bit of information, um, I interviewed 12 uh, people throughout the country. And so I did multiple interviews with each person. And so I got to know about their experiences, quite a bit of detail about their experiences mm -hmm. while they were incarcerated, what they had to do in order to gain their freedom, and then their experiences um, once they were um, back home in mm -hmm. their communities with their families. And so to cope with their experiences, um, in some cases, there were family members or significant people in their lives who believed in their innocence. Okay. So it wasn't everybody who didn't believe in them. Mm -hmm. And so for these people who did have someone on the outside, so to speak, mm -hmm. um, who believed in their innocence and believed in them, the uh, men and women I um, interviewed relied heavily on them. Okay. They were their connection to the outside world and they were also the people who helped um, encourage them and motivate them to continue on despite their horrible circumstances. Mm -hmm. And so I would say that those significant people um, played a huge role just in throughout their incarceration um, up until the point they were able to gain their freedom mm -hmm. and then um, their 
um, experiences reintegrating back into society. But it was still difficult, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. So it was wonderful if there were um, people in their lives who believed in them. Um, But to be incarcerated for something that you did not do, as anyone can imagine, Mm -hmm. is incredibly difficult. And um, if you're a person of faith, it will definitely test your faith. Mm -hmm. And so some of the things that these men and women did um, were to rely on their faith. Um, to um, focus on how to regain their freedom. I'd say that of the people that I interviewed, that was probably the thing that came up the most as -hmm. far as how did they get through their time incarcerated. Mm -hmm. Um, Once they got over the initial shock of being incarcerated, they turned all of their focus and energies into how do I get out of this situation? Okay. And so they became very determined. Um, Some of them became lawyers Mm -hmm. within the system. Mm -hmm. Um, And actually, when they were released, some of them went on to become lawyers to obtain law degrees. But for quite a few of them, they um, they learned the law in a way that, you know, law students would learn. Mm. They learned the details in and out what they needed to do. Um, So. They spent quite a bit of time focused on that. Um, a couple people I interviewed, the way they coped is they just kind of withdrew. Mm. Um, and they recognize it wasn't the probably the healthiest thing to do, mm-hmm. but it's what, in their words, what they needed to do to just get through. Mm-hmm. And so they isolated themselves. They kept to themselves. Um, they didn't spend a whole lot of time um, socializing in prison or getting involved with too many things. They just kind of kept their head down, um, minded their own business mm-hmm. to just get through. Yeah. Um, so there are a variety of things that people did. Um, but I think out of everyone I interviewed, the one that came up the most was how do they get out of this situation? Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting here. And it sounds like determination was a fuel for yes. sev- several people. And and I could see, like you said, the withdrawal and, and isolation just to get through. What do I need to do? Just to yes. Get through. Mm-hmm. And so for even the people who um, were the determination um, was at the forefront, mm-hmm. um, everybody went through periods where they just felt like giving up. Yeah. So the men and women I interviewed, they actually served anywhere between nine and a half to 22 years mm. in prison. And so one um, one of the the men I interviewed, his his comment comes to mind in speaking about this, where he had been writing anybody and everybody he could possibly think of Mm -hmm. um, innocence projects throughout the country. Mm -hmm. Um, If he read a book, he'd write the publisher of a book. He'd write authors of books just to find out or to reach out to anybody who can help me, who can help me. He was just. Anytime he came across an address, he would write, mm-hmm. hoping that someone um, would hear him, hear his cry for help, and just reach out to him, reach mm-hmm. back to him and help him. And so he said about um, uh, 15, 16 years in, mm-hmm. after doing this, he just felt like giving up. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So there seems to be a point like that. For most of the men and women, they they try, they try, um, 
everything they can possibly think of. Um, but they reach a point where they just feel like giving up. Yeah. But fortunately, mm-hmm. they didn't. Mm-hmm. They had something within them um, that kept them going despite the circumstances and despite feeling like um, giving up mm-hmm. on everything. They they continue to pursue um, their fight to to prove their innocence. And so, yeah. Great. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That was such a thorough, insightful response oh, to I'm that question it was. about yes. <laughs> So our, our next question mm-hmm. is, is there anything set up to help those who were exonerated to reintegrate into the community? Okay, so this is a complicated question yeah. or the answer is complicated. Uh-huh. Um, there are very few resources in the country mm-hmm. that are designed specifically for people who are wrongfully convicted. So there are some similarities. Um, of their experiences that they share with anybody who's coming out of a a prison environment. And so unfortunately, though, the services that are in place for men and women who are released on parole or probation typically do not provide the services for people who are wrongfully convicted. Mm -hmm. So the Mm -hmm. idea is that the state no longer has an obligation Mm -hmm. to people who are wrongfully convicted once they prove their innocence. And so a couple of people in um, my study actually tried to seek services from organizations that provided services to men and women on parole and were denied. Mm -hmm. They also went to social services, tried to explain their circumstances Mm -hmm. because, you know, they didn't have jobs. They didn't have money for food, Mm -hmm. for clothing. um, They didn't have housing. And so they go to social services hoping that um, they can get some kind of help, and they were denied. Mm-hmm. And so, even though they're in, they have such great needs, there are not many services that are designed for them. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a few programs throughout the country, but um, typically at any given time, there are less than ten throughout wow. the whole United States. Wow. And mm-hmm. people who are wrongfully convicted and have been able to prove their freedom, uh, prove their innocence. They live in every state in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, there are mm-hmm. thousands of these men and women. Mm-hmm. So if you think about less than 10 throughout the country, yes. that'll give you an idea of how um, critical the need is for services for these men and women. When it comes to um, restitution or compensation, okay, um, okay. Mm-hmm. Hold on to your seat. Okay. <laughs> I'll try to explain it in, in a nutshell. Okay. I could talk for hours about this. Okay. So when it comes to restitution um, for these men and women, um, there are some states that have statutes, mm-hmm. 34 states actually, as of last week, mm-hmm. um, Indiana became the 34th state. Okay. And so statutes though, are created by states. Okay. And so if there are 34 statutes, there are 34 different variations of different types of compensation for mm-hmm. these men and women. Mm-hmm. And so they range from anywhere from when it comes to money, $50 a day um, that a person was incarcerated, which doesn't equal to a whole lot. Um, I think it's around 12 or 13,000 a year. Okay. Um, and then there are 
are at the high end, you've got some where it's $50,000 per year mm-hmm. or $70,000 per year. Mm-hmm. That's at the high end. So there's anything and everything in between mm-hmm. the low end and the high end. Um, and at the high end, there are not that many states that provide mm-hmm. those kind, that kind of restitution or mm-hmm. compensation. Um, and the other thing about that is you've got financial compensation and then you've got compensation in the form of supports provided to these men and women and supports such as mental health services, health care, money for education, Mm -hmm. uh, money for vocational training, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Um, Money to help with transitional housing when they're transitioning from prison to home. Mm -hmm. And so even though 34 states now have compensation statutes, there are only uh, 15 states. Mm -hmm. that provides some kind of other type of support. Okay. And so, um, so it varies. And so the other thing is, Mm -hmm. there's always another thing. Yeah. For, there are eligibility criteria for men and women to be able to petition the state to be compensated by statute. And some states have prohibitive criteria. Mm -hmm. For example, um, if a person was to, as this common terminology in, in state's terms, contribute in any way to their wrongful conviction, they are not eligible for compensation. Okay. So if a person falsely confesses, they are not mm. eligible for compensation. And we know that um, over 10%, between 10 and 15% of men and women were coerced into falsely confessing. Mm-hmm. Um, 10 to 15% of the men who are actually men and women who are actually able to be exonerated. And so, you know, from a justice standpoint, if they're coerced into doing this, shouldn't they still be able to receive compensation? Mm -hmm. Um, But the reality is regardless of what happened to them or why they falsely confessed, they're excluded from being able to petition. Mm -hmm. So there are certain caveats like that, which Mm -hmm. makes it difficult. Um, to pursue compensation in that form. Mm -hmm. And so for the states that don't have it, or if the eligibility criteria are too prohibitive in the states that do have um, statutory compensation, the only alternatives are to um, file a lawsuit or to um, get the help of a legislator, a state legislator, to um, come up with a special bill. Mm -hmm. Both of those are incredibly difficult. Mm And Mm. so um, the best bet is statutory compensation. Um, But if it's not even available for some people, then there's the lawsuit and the special legislation. Mm. Special legislation rarely ever happens. Mm -hmm. Um, And lawsuits, quite a few people have been successful with lawsuits. Mm -hmm. However, as you um, can imagine, they take a long time and they're very expensive. Okay. And so... um, there are barriers all the way around um, to getting any kind of restitution or compensation. Okay. Uh, so it sounds like there have been a lot of closed doors. Yes. Um, and limited resources, limited services when it comes to reintegration and restitution mm-hmm. um, for these individuals. Yeah. And mm-hmm. one thing I will say, uh, it's, it's unfortunate. There's closed doors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes we hear about these cases when people are able to be freed. Mm-hmm. They're released from yes. prisons and you see it on the news mm-hmm. and you see you know, um, documentaries and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the people that I interviewed, 
they talk about how returning home, in some cases, in their own words, okay. it's just as difficult mm. as doing the time. Mm. Um, the longer that they were incarcerated, the more distance there is between them and the free world. Mm -hmm. And when you're in prison, you know, everything just kind of comes to a standstill. Mm -hmm. The world moves on right. outside of prison, but you're kind of stuck in this frozen time, this frozen period of time. Mm -hmm. So when they come home, um, you know, there's new technology. Yeah. Um, people's lives have moved on, even if they're family members and they've made contact. Um, so much has changed. And so um, I lost my train of thought. Okay. <laughs> oh, oh. I, oh, I know what I was going to say. Uh -huh. So, yes. So going back to, yes, their doors are closed. Mm -hmm. And so it's challenge after challenge mm -hmm. after challenge. So the point I wanted to make was even when someone is able to be um, freed from prison, they uh -huh. come home, um, doesn't necessarily mean things are from there easy going. Right. There are significant challenges that they experience. Mm -hmm. Um, and of the, the, the group of men and women that I interviewed, several of them have actually formed their own organizations okay. to help people who have gone through similar experiences. Mm -hmm. um, so a couple of them have become lawyers mm -hmm. and they're actually working on cases where they're um, trying to free people mm -hmm. who they believe are wrongfully convicted. And then um, a couple of the people in the study have actually formed nonprofit organizations where they either provide services to people who are wrongfully convicted and or they provide services to people who are wrongfully convicted as well as anybody returning home from prison. Okay. Um, something that these men and women have have shared is that the experience experiences they went through being wrongfully convicted. Yes, it is a unique experience, but they don't like to differentiate themselves from everybody else who has been incarcerated okay. because they recognize that they go through some of the same issues. They go through the same challenges when they return home. And so the men and women who have um, formed some of these nonprofit nonprofit organizations helping anyone returning home from prison, they have the doors open to everybody. Okay. Um, but there are some very specific needs mm -hmm. that the exonerees have. Primarily, they don't have um, access to some of the services and resources that people on parole and probation have. Mm -hmm. And so that's the reason that some of the people in the study um, are focused specifically on exonerees because they're just trying to get the basic help right. for these men and women. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. You are so thorough <laughs> and she is so thorough that she already answered the third question. Oh, she did. Oh, shoot. Fabulous. No, because the third question was what type of restitution did they receive? And you just really gave us a, a, an idea oh. <laughs> of what forms of restitution are out there, what forms of restitution are still needed and how limited and I'm OK, let mm -hmm. me add something to Please that. Do. Mm -hmm. So of the 12 people that I that were in the study, mm -hmm. um, three are in Texas. OK. And so Texas is very unique. Mm -hmm. um, Tex in Texas, if someone is exonerated, mm -hmm. legally cleared of responsibility for the crime, the state acknowledges that. 
then they don't actually have to go through any cumbersome process. Okay. They're able to be compensated by the state um, as a form, as just a part of this is what we do. This is the policy that we have in place. This is what our statute outlines. And so we're going to compensate you as long as the state formally clears you of everything. Mm -hmm. So, um, so some of these, the, I interviewed actually men and women in Texas. And so they were able to be compensated in a way that was um, ideal. Mm -hmm. I think Um, they didn't have to wait an extraordinary long period of time. Mm -hmm. Um, They had uh, compensation much quicker than people in other States. Okay. Um, But having said that, Texas is the only one like that. Okay. And also, um, there's something that I think is important for anybody to understand when we're talking about wrongful conviction and exoneration. So exoneration is a legal term. And so when someone is exonerated, that pretty much means the state acknowledges that that person is factually innocent of the crime that they were wrongfully convicted of. Okay. It's kind of their stamp saying, we recognize that you did not do this crime. Mm-hmm. So there are cases, even in Texas, this is okay. all over the country, where people um, who in fact did not commit the crime are still not exonerated. Mm-hmm. And so these men and women are not eligible to um, pursue compensation, to file a petition to state for compensation. So here goes into that whole area where I say nothing's, everything's complicated right. here. And so, um, so when when I use the term exoneration, I think, okay, this person person has been legally cleared by the state. Mm-hmm. But the reality is there are way more people who have not been legally cleared. Right. And unfortunately, probably will not be. So what happens um, with quite a few of the people um, in my study, as well as many other people in this situation, the state will sometimes um, make a deal or put a, put an offer on the table. Um, if someone is getting close to proving their innocence and they think there's a good shot at it, they're incarcerated, they've got a great legal team, they think there's a good chance that they can prove their innocence and return home, um, sometimes the state will come with an offer. Okay. And the offer will be, um, we'll release you, sometimes on parole, sometimes not. We'll mm-hmm. release you. But you can't say that you're innocent Mm -hmm. and you can't sue the state Mm -hmm. or any players Mm -hmm. um, and you can't file for compensation. Mm -hmm. So this is a very difficult position for someone to be in. Right. Several of the people in the study were presented with deals like this. So you have to weigh, Okay, they've been in prison 10, 15 years. Nobody wants to be in prison any longer than they have to. Right. So they're presented this deal. And they have to make the decision. Mm. Do I accept this, go home, but cannot say, cannot fight to free, clear my name, fully clear my name, but I'll be home. Mm. Do I not accept this, automatically spend more time in prison, and there's the chance that I'm not going to be able to prove my innocence, no matter how good the case is that I'm building. Mm -hmm. So what do I do? And so in the cases of the people that I interviewed, some people took the deal and some people didn't. Okay. So those Mm -hmm. who took the deal, they're in a position where they can't pursue compensation. Mm -hmm. Wow. 
um, those who didn't take the deal, well, fortunately, I ended up interviewing them. So that mm-hmm. means that they were able to prove their innocence. Mm-hmm. But um, as one person I interviewed said, um, it was an agonizing decision. Mm-hmm. She agonized for she agonized over it, and in the end, she decided not to take it. Okay, because um, in her case, she was wrongfully convicted of. Um, something that happened where her child died. Mm. And so for her, she said it would be saying that I can't fight to clear my name. And so I'd never, you know, no one would ever believe or there'd always be suspicion hanging over me Mm -hmm. that did I, or did I not do this crime? Right. And so for her, that was a huge factor Mm -hmm. in not accepting that type of deal. Mm. Um, Another instance where a, a, a man was offered a deal, um, he didn't have any children. Mm-hmm. His mother was elderly mm-hmm. and um, she was not well health wise. Mm-hmm. And so he was very concerned he would not be able to see her okay. if he if he yeah. continued fighting while incarcerated. He might mm-hmm. not ever be able to see her again. Mm-hmm. So he went ahead and took the deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was quite blunt. He also just wanted to get out of there. Right. He had done enough time. And so Mm -hmm. he wanted to get out of prison. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So it's never easy. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's all complicated. And um, each person has to do what is right for them. Right. And they're, you know, the, for themselves, the people in their life, what they can, um, what they can live with, what they would be okay with. For those of you listening, if you want to become involved in this, Um, with the wrongful convictions and incarceration, there are a couple of sites we want to share that you can just search on the internet um, to find out more information and learn how you could become more involved. Um, The first one is the National Registry for Exonerations. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then the second is the Innocence Project. So again, we don't just want to talk about it. We want to do something about it. So again, if you want to get involved, Please visit these websites, learn more about it, and see how you can get involved. I have one more thing. Absolutely. (laughs) Yes. So, yes. So, getting involved. Mm -hmm. So, what can individuals do, just everyday individuals? Mm -hmm. One thing that anybody can do, if you provide any kind of service, Mm -hmm. whether it's you're a barber, you have a hair salon, you're a dentist, you're a doctor, you work for a retailer, whatever it is that you might have um, that someone coming from home from prison can mm-hmm. benefit from, um, consider offering those types of services for free. Even if it's just like an initial haircut, uh-huh. um, an initial donation of clothing. Mm-hmm. So most men and women who um, are returning from prison, whether they're wrongfully convicted or Mm -hmm. they actually committed the crime, um, they don't have a whole lot coming home. Mm -hmm. They're um, usually don't have any money. Okay. Um, It's difficult to find a place to stay Mm -hmm. Um, in order to get a job. We already know how difficult it is for these men and women to get a job. Mm -hmm. And so it's very important that they have a nice haircut. Yes. That they have an outfit that they can wear to a job interview. Right. Um, so anything that you can think of that you have, whether mm-hmm. it's a service or a material thing that might be a of cert or might be a benefit, mm-hmm. think about contributing those or donating those. Mm-hmm. And um, 
you can probably easily find um, some kind of reentry program in any community near you. Mm-hmm. You can contact them, find out if, um, you know, how, if they accept donations, mm-hmm. how might you um, um, share information about providing, providing the services and they mm-hmm. should be able to help you out. Awesome. That was great information. So if you heard what Tina said, whatever you have, offer it. If you have a service, like she said, barbershopping, an initial donation of clothing, helping someone and offering that up. Gosh, once again, Tina, thank you so much. Oh, I enjoyed it. (laughs) Yes, participating in this podcast and just opening our eyes and our minds to this issue. You're very welcome. Thank you. So to our listeners, Please stay tuned for our next broadcast and feel welcome to share this topic that we discussed today with Tina Barr about wrongful convictions and incarceration. Hope to talk to you again soon. Take care. Bye.